The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Good morning. I'm, I'm Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City. Um, I want to welcome you if this is your first time here. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning. I, I got a few housekeeping things. Number one, we apologize. It's so hot. The heater, or the heater, the AC broke a few weeks ago. Uh, $28,000 later, it will be fixed this week. So that's what we're told. It will be fixed this week. So next week, um, you can come dressed like an Eskimo because you know how I like it cold. So it will be cold in here next week. Um, if you were not here last week, we gave out a couple of these booklets that we made. Uh, one is just the Sacred City Church on the, on the front, and it's uh, basically our vision and values. And then the other book was called Sacred City DNA. And that's the series that we're in right now. And it go, it's a, this is a devotional book for you to use every single day uh, for the next uh, seven weeks now that we're going to be in this series. So hopefully you found it helpful. I'd encourage my soul this week when I uh, saw my wife filling hers out and, and, and working through it. My wife loves stuff like this to, to work through. So some of you uh, hopefully will, will benefit from this and it'll be a, a, a means of grace for you. So if you didn't pick up one of these, they're free. So they're at, the, they're at our box office out there. So as you're leaving today, please... Uh, grab one of these. And then uh, two things. Number one, uh, baptism, July 1st. So that's couple, in a couple couple weeks coming up. Uh, July 1st right here, we're going to have a baptism service. So if you have not been baptized, please either see me or see Rich. And also, if you're on the city, you can just search baptism process on the city. We've got about five steps that we'd like you to go through uh, to, under, to make sure you understand what baptism is, understand the process, understand what God has done in you to bring you to this point. Of, of ready to profess your faith and, and be baptized into the body of Christ. So uh, please do that. I, I know I've got a couple people that have already talked to me about it that are, that are looking forward to doing it. So that's July 1st. I feel like I'm in a barrel right now. Um, and then the second thing is discipleship training. <clears throat> we are a church that wants to make disciples who make disciples. We're not a church who wants to do just a gathering. Um, this is just a gathering of what we do throughout the week. Uh, there's a whole lot more going on. We want to make disciples who then make disciples. Um, so one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways, not the foundational way, but we have, uh, every month we have some discipleship training. So today, 2 o'clock, it's the building next door. Um, it's going to be like um, a discipleship training. I think what they're going over is understanding the story of God, understanding how our story intersects and how to use the narrative of the Bible. So what we talked about last week a little bit to counsel. So in missional community, how do we counsel? How do we uh, apply the gospel to people's hearts? I think that's what we're working on today. So um, that's 2 o'clock next door uh, today. I think that's all my announcements. We don't do announcements around here, so I have to squeeze in a few right now. If I get a text message, my phone is on. If I get a text message during the service, uh, you're going to get deuces from me, and I'll be out because my wife is, any minute could be given birth, okay? So... Or not. I mean, the last two nights we thought it was happening and it didn't. So uh, Rich got the great call last night about nine o'clock. Just in case, be ready to preach. (laughs) So here's my notes. Good luck with that. Uh, So we're we're here this morning, but uh, we'll see. So hopefully I'm going to have another baby girl this week sometime, hopefully. So my wife is praying to Jesus that it happens sooner rather than later. All right, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. Your blood is the most precious substance that's ever touched uh, this earth. More real than anything we see on a day-to-day basis. Has eternal significance. The spotless, pure, precious blood of the Lamb of Christ. We ask that your presence would be here in a powerful way. 
Um, I ask that you would speak through me, that you would think through my mind, that you would enable us to hear your word being preached, that the word would not return void, but it would accomplish that which it was sent to accomplish, that you would um, regenerate hearts, that you would save, that you would push us deeper into the gospel today. You would sanctify. You would do all these things for your great namesake, for your glory, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, typically, we, we go through just books of the Bible. We just finished up Ephesians. But right now, because we're so... Man, am I in the monitor? Some, something still sounds funky to me, dude. Um, because we're so early on, we're, we're less than a year old right now. We've only been doing public gatherings since January. Um, I felt it very important that we do a DNA series. We do something uh, to let you know what it means to be Sacred City, what it means to be a gospel-centered missional church. Um, there's a lot of names being thrown out there. And especially if you're coming and you maybe have a church background and you drop in on a Sunday morning, you might just think, oh, this is it? Oh, it's just a Sunday gathering. It's kind of weird. They're like, they say stuff. They read stuff off screen. They repeat things. They repent. It's just a weird service. Well, this is only a part of what we do. And what we, this is part of what we call covenant renewal. So this mainly is for believers in this room, though we hope to preach and share and sing in a way that's open and, and, and what we say missional, so it's outwardly focused. This is mainly for people who are believers in Jesus Christ, who know they do walk away from the gospel and they need to be drawn back every single week by His grace. So that's what we do. But foundationally, we're made up of what we call missional communities. Small, little, almost house churches that meet throughout the cities, throughout the week, that are on mission to a specific people and place. We don't do it because we thought we're really inventive and we thought we'd come up with something really cool and and catchy and we'll do something different from all the other churches and we'll get this niche market. That's not why we did it. We did it because we went to Scripture and we feel like this is the way the early church was set up. This was their ecclesiology of how they set up the church. So that's the way we do things around here at Sacred City. So we don't measure our success by who shows up on Sunday morning. All right, we measure our success by the grace that God gives us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. All right, we can't put a label on something and say, because we have this many people show up on Sunday, it's a success. Um, it's really easy in this culture to draw a crowd. It's really difficult to make disciples. All right, so we're going to go through a little bit of what that looks like today. Um, we started last week talking about the mission of God. This week we're going to be talking about our three, basically, we don't really use the, the term values, but it's basically our three core values around here um, at Sacred City, and that's gospel, community, and mission. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, when I was in Omaha completing my church planning residency, I worked at Whole Foods, and I had this conversation with one of my coworkers. Uh, she was telling me about a book she had read, and we're stocking shelves, you know, and... Um, you know, you just one of those opportunities that you never know when they're going to come up, but they come up and then you know it's a God moment when it comes up. She starts telling me about this book that she was reading, by, written by a Buddhist and was co-authored by a Benedictine monk. Uh, she was telling that she believed and the authors were promoting the thought that all religions pretty much have the same key points and themes. All religions are pretty much the same, pretty much same key points. And she asked me what I thought. Now, for me, this is like, you know, the slow pitch softball and it's in slow motion and I'm winding back saying, yeah, baby, come on. And I said, well, okay. You know, I said, uh, philosophically she was correct, but that Christianity was not anything like other religions. 
She stopped what she was doing. She looked at me and she said, you know, a little confused. Philosophically, you agree, but Christianity is nothing like that. Okay, what do you mean? She said, she looked at me and she said, what do you mean? And I, I, um, I imagine she thought I was going to say, well, we're better, you know, and, and be real narrow and real. And I said, well, every other religion in the world is about man doing things to earn their way to heaven in the fa- or to earn their way into the favor of the gods. Every other religion is about what you must do to be in right favor and right standing with the God or gods or get eternal life. She said, yeah. Like, and that's what Christianity is. That's what she's assuming. And I said, no, Christianity is nothing like that. She said, go on. I said, Christianity is about God becoming a man, living the perfect life that we can't live and dying the death that we should all die. To earn our way back into a relationship with the God, the ultimate thing, by imputing, giving us right standing with himself. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. The Bible says that angels step back and say, whoa, angels step back and look into it and go, I still can't get my mind around this gospel thing because the angels never got grace. The angels, when they sinned against God, were judged immediately. No second chances, no grace. So the angels step back and look at the gospel and they're like, what? They're amazed at the gospel. And there's this There's this um, ethos that's going through our culture that says Christianity is just like every other religion. It's just another way to appease the gods, another way that you do certain things to make God happy, to make God bless you. And Christianity is nothing like that. All attempts to please God outside the righteousness of Christ, our religion, our moralism is a false religion completely. Christianity is God has earned for himself through Jesus Christ. His his perfect righteousness was given to us. His wrath has been moved aside. His pleasure is placed upon us all because of Christ. God earned it for people who believe. Completely different from all other religions. C.S. Lewis once said, you know, some philosophers were debating and they said, well, what what makes all the religions different? What makes them all unique? And what makes Christianity unique? And he said, oh, they were arguing back and forth. And then C.S. Lewis walked in the room and he said, what are you guys arguing about? He told him, he said, oh, it's grace. Easy. It's grace. No other religion has grace at its center. Christianity does. So God has earned our salvation completely separate from anything that we have ever done or ever could do. At Sacred City Church, we believe church planting, now this is key, we believe church planting is actually just planting the seed of the gospel into the soil of the culture, trusting the sovereignty of God to produce a thriving church. That's what we do. We plant the seed of the gospel into the soil of a culture. We trust the sovereignty of God to produce a thriving church. It's all about his work. It's about the person and work of Je- the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. So we're going to talk about this today. What is the gospel? Gospel community mission. Let's just start with what is the gospel. We're going to go. We usually don't do this because we usually go through books of the Bible. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. So I hope you have your Bible. If you have your Bible, open it up. Um, if you need a Bible, they're they're on a little uh, table right there in the back. Just run, grab one. Um, you can obviously pull it up on your phone, pull it up on your iPad at the same time. We're going to start 
in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter one, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. We like to say it uh, like this. To make it really simple and something very repeatable, we like to say this. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. While at the same time, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dare hoped. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're there, say there. All right, cool. Verses 1 through 8. See, Apostle Paul, written to one of the most jacked up churches in all the New Testament. It is the most jacked up church in all the New Testament. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Which in the gospel, right there, gospel literally means good news. I would remind you of the good news. Now listen, good news, it's a message to be proclaimed. It's an event that happened in history. It's a historical event. I want you to know that there's a lot of things. You, you can't really be the gospel. People want to say, go be the gospel. You can't really be the gospel. The gospel is a message to be told. It's news that's to be heralded. It's an event that happened inside of history that we need to tell people about. Now, implications of the gospel do affect the way that we live, and we can, we can live out some of the implications of the gospel in our community. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So, of the gospel, I preach to you, which you received. Listen, past tense. The gospel is something you believe. The gospel is something you receive at a moment in time. You say that was foolishness. And then in a moment in time, your eyes are opened by the spirit of God and you receive the gospel. But look at this. Past tense, which you received, in which you stand. The gospel is also a present reality that gives you strength today to make it from day to day to day in Christ, in your walk to produce fruit. Move forward. Keep going in which you stand, present tense, and look at this, and by which you are being saved, future tense. Oh, this is so brilliant. Paul, you are amazing. Thank you, Jesus, for inspiring this. Past, present, and future. My hope that I will be saved is not based on my faith alone. My hope that I will be saved is based upon the object of my faith, Jesus Christ in the gospel, that he purchased my salvation on the cross, past, present, and future tense. He sustains me. He holds me. Jesus Christ has never lost one of his sheep, so he's not going to lose a fool like me. Uh, That is brilliant. That is good news. My hope that I will not backslide in the future. My hope that I will not walk away from Christ in the future. My hope that it will not burn up my life in the future and and, and just completely walk away from Jesus Christ. My hope is not built in my willpower, in my strength, in my goodness, in my morality. My hope is built on nothing less but the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, So there are people who do believe in vain. They have a form. Maybe they believe a false gospel, thinking it's the true gospel. There's a lot of false gospels out there today that if you have enough faith, God will dance for you. If you have enough faith, you can get him to do whatever you want him to do. There's a lot of false gospels out there. You can go to the Christian bookstore and just scan the titles and see how much God is in the title or how much you are in the title. Your best life now. Eight steps for your success. Fix your marriage. Everything's about us, not about him and his glory. False gospel. 
Bible's not about us. It's about him. It's about what he's done. It's about the work of Christ. For I, am, for I delivered to you... Well, so what is the gospel, Justin? It's past, present, future. Well, listen, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance... Paul saying, this is what's first important. What I also received... Justin, why are you always preaching about the gospel? Why is every single message about the gospel? It's first importance. It's first importance. Does God care how we live? Of course. Does God want us to talk about ethics? Of course. But what's first importance? That Christ died for our sins. Look at this. In accordance with the scriptures, I love it. Paul connects it back to the Old Testament. Paul connects the work of Christ back to the story of God. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He does it again. And then he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. He's substantiating his claim of the gospel now, his, his claim of resurrection. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Look at this. Most of whom are still alive. An incredible apologetic of the gospel right there. If you're writing good news, this is the gospel. This one dude that you killed, he got back up again, and he gives... Uh, resurrection life to all people. If you're preaching that gospel in the day and age that it happened, people are going to go, yeah, well, show me, prove it. And And Paul right here in the day and age of the resurrection of Christ, he's saying, this is how I can prove it. He showed up to Peter. He showed up to the 12. He showed up to 500 more people and they're still alive. Go check it out. God, he, Paul is not anti-rationalistic. He is not anti-intelligence uh, by any means. He's not just taking by faith and just, you know, not by sight. By faith. He's not doing that only. He's like, go check them out. Showed up to 500 people. It's the gospel. It's, a, it's happened in history. Now we're 2,000 years away, so we can read it. Kind of like we're reading about Peter Pan. We read the Bible like it happened in Neverland. But this is a historical document. This is an event. The gospel is good news. An event has taken place. God has died for sinners. So the gospel is the good news. It's objective truth. Did I stop there? Yeah, that's it. It's good news. It's objective truth. But it's also, that's not only what the gospel is. It's also the power of God. Turn to Romans 1. Romans 1, go to the left, a couple books. This is, this is, I'm going to try not to spontaneously combust today. Not only my excitement over what the gospel, what the gospel is and what it's been doing in our city and in our community, but also these lights are just hot. (laughs) Romans 1, verse 17 and 18. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 16 and 17. Paul again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, look at this, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek, obviously salvation came to the Jews first. We talked about it last week. God came to the, he revealed himself to the Israelites first. He revealed himself there first and then it spread to everyone else. For in it, for in the gospel, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done and God has done for us in Christ. But it also, at the same time, listen, this is very important to your sanctification. This is very important to your walk with Christ in your Christian life. The gospel is also power. 
It is power, present, active power, future power, past power. It is also the power of God at work in our life. See, most people have a truncated gospel. They have a a gospel that has been minimized and packed down to only the removal of sin. They think, I mean, this is one of the truths of the gospel. In the gospel, God removes my sin. Thank God. He removes my sin from the elect. He places it on Christ. Christ dies, canceling the, the record of wrong. Thank God for that work. He's removed our sin. Brilliant work. Glorious work of Christ. But so many people think that's it. I'm saved. Good. Now I can go back to living my life the way I want to live. Now I can go back chasing my dream and doing what I want to do. The gospel is that work that he removed sin from us, but it's also the power of God. Now what does that mean for us? It means this. The gospel is not just the way into becoming a Christian. The gospel is the way that all growth takes place as we become Christians. Listen, this is what most people believe. Believe the gospel, become a Christian, suck it up, put your big boy pants on, work hard at your own sanctification. Become a good person now. You're saved by the gospel. You work hard by your own effort. You work hard. You try to be moral now. You try to appease God. Now that, you know, you get this guilt trip in your mind. Well, he died for me, so I better live for him. It's not true. Not only does the gospel bring us into the life of faith, the gospel also is the very thing that gives us the power to grow, to change, to be sanctified. And we're going to walk through this a little bit. I want you to go to one more scripture, right? And that's Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. And we're actually going to, it's mid-sentence, so we're, it's kind of a weird breakup. So we're going to start halfway through um, at the start of the new sentence in verse 5. When you're there, say there. Okay, Colossians was to the right, a few books if you hadn't got there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. All right, verse 5, here we go. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Okay, stop right here. This is the, one of the <laughs> craziest things That you hear so many people, especially Christians that have gone to church. I want deep preaching. I I need to be fed. I I don't want simple messages. And there's, there are some simple messages out there that, that, that they don't bring nourishment, but this is what he's saying. The majority of Paul's letters is this. He's preaching to believers. He's preaching to churches. He's preaching to Christians. And what he says right here when he's leading off is this of this, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, what's he delivering to them? Listen, you've heard this before, it's the gospel. You've heard this before, it's the gospel. But guess what you need? The gospel. All right? I know you heard this, but you didn't get this. Every single one of us, that's how we functionally live our life. We don't graduate to greater things. We go deeper and deeper and deeper into the truth of the gospel. Oh man, this is brilliant. I love this. Thank you, Jesus. Keep reading. Verse 6, which has came to you, the gospels came to you, as indeed, look at this, as indeed in the whole world, it is what? Bearing fruit and growing. What does the gospel do? It bears fruit and is growing, as it also does among you. So he's saying, I know you heard this, 
the gospel truth, but it's growing in all the world and it's bearing fruit in you right now. Since the day you heard it, and look at this, and understood the grace of God in truth. We learned three, a couple things from this. Number one, the gospel is always growing. The gospel is always moving forward. The gospel is always producing fruit and advancing. Why? Because it's God's. Because he's in charge of it. Because he's sovereign and over all creation. And it's not dependent upon our behavior. He's doing it. It's always bearing fruit and growing. But there's also this truth in there where he says, as you understood it, as you heard it, as you understood it, as we hear the gospel, as we understand it, as we come to know it in a greater way, it affects us more and more deeply. It produces fruit in us more and more deeply. So the gospel, as Tim Keller says, is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. Your problem right now in your life is that you don't believe the gospel fully. It's my problem. When the gospel is planted in us, it will continue to grow and bear fruit our entire lives. The gospel affects my head, the gospel affects my heart, and the gospel affects my hands. It's organic. It is always producing fruit. The problem is none of us ever completely, I'm going to use this in quotations, we never completely get the gospel. We don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's God canceled my sin. Thanks. We get a, we get a truncated, a bifurcated, a, a piece of the gospel. But the gospel is like a diamond. It has many facets. Any way you twist it in the light, you're going to see greater things. You're going to see more things about the beauty of the gospel. If you're not growing closer to Jesus Christ right now, if your walk is not getting more intimate, if he's not getting more near to you, if you're not hearing his voice in a greater way and feeling his pleasure in a greater way and being more aware of his love in a greater way, in a greater way and you're being pressed into community in a deeper way, if you're not being on mission for him in a greater way, then you have a gospel problem. But this is what the church has told us. It's not a gospel problem. It's an entertainment problem. It's a, it's almost like a, it's like a buffet problem. You just need to go to a different church. You need another experience. Oh, you're kind of stagnant. You need a charismatic worship experience. Oh, you're kind of stagnant. You need another Bible study. Oh, you're kind of stagnant. You need to go serve the poor. Oh, you're kind of stagnant. You need to fill in the blank. There's, you need to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. You need to go to a healing crusade. You need to go to a conference to get your fire. You need to go to camp. It's never ending. The, the message is go out and get more and then you'll be happy and then you'll be satisfied. And Paul says, no, it's not another experience you need. You need to understand the gospel in a deeper way. It needs to affect your mind, your heart, and your, your, I say hands, which means my will, my get it done-ness. It needs to affect all of that. Galatians 2 shows us this. Incredible scripture. Peter's kind of a stud, right? You guys... You guys read the Bible, you know Peter's kind of like Jesus is like, hey, brother, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. 
You know, Peter probably walked with a swagger until the whole rooster crowing incident, right? So Peter thought he was pretty bad. Listen, and Peter kind of led the, the church in Jerusalem. After Jesus died, came back, resurrected, got him back in the game, pushed him off. Peter, you know, Peter's the, one of God's A-team, right? He's, he's leading the church in Jerusalem. Now listen, this is what happens. The Apostle Paul, who's the new guy, Apostle Paul, who's the rookie, he has this awesome experience from God. God shows up and says, all your religious, all your educational training is for this moment right here. You need to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul starts doing it. Paul sees the gospel and he sees what it does to race. He sees what the gospel does to um, ethnic relations. He sees what the gospel does to all the implications of our life, how the gospel affects our money, how the gospel affects my self-esteem, how the gospel affects, affects my, ser- my uh, service and my, my parenting. Paul gets this. And then he comes together with the brothers. They're meeting up. And Peter is eating with Paul and the Gentiles who had not been circumcised. He's eating with these guys. And then some brothers show up. Who The circumcised dudes showed up. So the old, you know, the, the, the Israelites show up. The Jews show up. And, and then Peter all of a sudden starts separating himself from the, the uncircumcised and starts hanging out with the good religious folk, people who have been circumcised. Now listen, this is plain and clear. Um, He's segregating himself. I don't don't want to uh, hang out with these guys because these guys might be offended. I'm trying to please people. He's preaching a gospel that says the dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed and God has made all men one. He's preaching that gospel, but when it comes to living, well, they're, they're not circumcised. I'm going to separate myself. Peter, the Catholic church says he's the guy that founded the whole Catholic church. Like upon this rock, I'll build my church. Peter, supposedly the first Pope, Peter is segregating himself. He's showing racial discrimination, cultural discrimination. Your culture's bad. This culture's good. Peter. Now listen, and Paul, which is brilliant because there's this thing going around that you never call anybody out. You never confront anybody in their sin. But Paul, he says this in Galatians 2, because Peter was not living in line. Listen, that's the term he uses. Because Peter was not living in line with the gospel. I opposed him to his face. Paul, the new guy, Paul, the rookie, opposes Peter to his face. And he doesn't say this. Come on, Peter. You know better than that. Come on, Peter. Use your willpower. You're better than that. Don't you know you're the head and not the tail? Don't you know you're above and not beneath? Don't you know you're the... He doesn't do that. He also doesn't shame him. Shame on you. Shame on you. You are a preacher of the gospel. And look how you're living. What does he do? Think, I want you to think about that. He doesn't use guilt to motivate him. He doesn't use shame to motivate him. Paul says, you're not living in line with the gospel. You don't believe the gospel. The gospel, once believed, is organic and it should affect every aspect of your life. So Paul Paul is saying the way to grow as a Christian, 
The way to go deeper into God and see him produce the fruit of the spirit in you is by going deeper into the gospel, having a better understanding and living in line with the gospel. See, every single one of us is naturally sinfully and sinfully. Listen, every one of us is naturally and sinfully trying to avoid Jesus by creating our own identities. Even those that have been given the gift of faith and you've come into and you've believed the gospel in the past tense and you're a Christian now and your sin's been washed, you still try to avoid Jesus every day. We try to make a name for ourselves. We want to prove our worth to the world. One of my favorite quotes, it's heartbreaking at the same time, but it's in Vanity, it was in Vanity Fair and it's by Madonna. And I, want you to, I want you to listen to this. She says this, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover my spell, myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I'm somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. I know what that's like. Every single day, I need the gospel. Every single day, I need to be reminded my righteousness, my purpose, my meaning, my significance is not found in what I do. It's found in Christ. What he's done for me. My identity can get so wrapped up in being a good pastor that I try to make the good pastor of my identity. That's a gospel issue. I used to wear, and I still do kind of wear this identity of the wrestler. Loving just the challenge and to conquer things and just to be productive. It still dominates me sometimes. And it's a gospel issue. Every problem in your life right now at its root is a gospel issue. But thankfully, see, this is where the gospel comes in here because thankfully the gospel doesn't just remove my sin. I mean, that, that's good, but who am I now, right? Thank you for, I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but now who am I? What do I do? How do I live? How do I move forward? Most people's gospel stops there. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yes, you are. Step one. It's one aspect of the gospel. There's so much more. The second one is this. God not only removes your sin, he also graciously, through the righteousness of Christ and imputation, gives you a new identity. He makes us into a new creature or a new creation. He ad- or another way to say it is this. He adopts us into a family. He removes our sin and then he puts us in a family. 
His family. One of my favorite books is uh, J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And, and this is a longer quote, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's, it's good. Adoption, listen to this. Adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel. Higher even than justification because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. See, justification is this forensic idea conceived of in terms of law and viewing God as judge. But adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with the God who's the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. How often do you meditate on that? You're not just forgiven. God chose you. Ephesians tells us he chose you before the foundations of the world to be predestined into the life of his son. He adopted you into the family of God. While you were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners in our fifth filth, in our idolatry, in our self-worship, in our self-focus, he chose you and he said, I want that one. It's like going to the adoption agency, looking for the sickest. You know what? This doesn't even work because Ephesians 2 says we were dead when he adopted us. So it's like walking down the adopt, adoption in the adoption agency and finding a child who just passed away and yep, I want that one. I can't even do the sick and the poor and the broken. I can't even do that because we're worse than that. And he sets his love on us. It's amazing. So God removes our sin and he gives us a new identity, placing us in a family. Now listen, this is key. This is key. Because most people, when they think of church, they think of a building or they think of Sunday gathering, a Sunday gathering where they just show up. But the church is not a place. It's a people. It's a family. It's a gospel family. That's what the church is. So the third thing the gospel does in our life, okay, it it, it removes our sin, it adopts us into a family, and then it does this. As it produces fruit in our life, it radically recalculates our values. It radically changes them. Every single person in this room, you desire in some way to connect with human beings. Why? Because you were created by a God who is three in one. He is, by in his essence, he is a loving, happy community. And he created you in his image, so you desire to connect. You, you have a relational aspect of your being because of God, our creator. But because of sin, now listen to this, because of sin, our desire to build our lives on something other than him, because of that sinful desire, we don't connect with people very well. We compete. We don't humbly connect and share and love by nature. We compete. This sinful desire to compete with family members, to compete with neighbors, to compete with friends and coworkers has made our society into a radically individualistic society. But when God saves us, 
He saves us into a family. And this family is centered on the gospel, which gives us the power to live radically different lives from the culture. And I want you to hear this. So many, it's very common in our culture today to think of the church as an afterthought. To think of, well, I just need Jesus to be saved. I don't need the church. That's a lie. St. Cyprian, uh, the bishop of Carthage in Africa in 248 AD said this famous statement, you cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. You cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. What? You're telling me I have to go to church to be a Christian? Does a fish have to swim to be a fish? Yes. You're saved into a family. You're adopted into a family. Paul uses the analogy in Ephesians that you're living stones built together one by one. He says that my job is to equip the believers to do the work of the ministry in the body of Christ. To say I'm a Christian outside of the church, it's foolish. You can't find one scripture. You cannot find one scripture in context to justify it. You can't find one Christian outside of community in scripture. One. You can't find one. Unless you're going to say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Right? It's, it's radically different from our culture. And I want to, I'm going to show you what this looks like. God saves individuals, but he immediately brings them into community, the church family. Now let's go to the last scripture. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 42. Thank you for staying with me. I know it's hot in here. I know it's easy to get your mind running uh, and get distracted when it's hot. I know it feels like nap time sometimes. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when you're there, say there. Okay, so this is what happens. God, God uh, resurrects Jesus Christ. He comes back. He tells him to go wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, comes, fills them for mission, fills them, creates the church out of them, uh, renews the mission of God uh, to be a people in place, to renew all of creation. And this is what happens. Verse 42. And they, de- they the believers, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. That's what I pray for our church. That's what I pray for our city. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and look at this, and had all things in common. They had all, stop, I'm going to stop there. They had all things in common. They were radically, the New Testament church, the people of God, were radically involved in each other's lives. Some of us hate that, but something down inside of us wants that. When I want to make a decision, I don't want nobody to tell me what to do. I don't want you to say anything negative about the decision I'm about to make, how I'm going to spend my money, what I'm going to do. I don't want you to talk to me about it. I want to be radically individualistic, but then when I get hurt, But then when I make a bad decision, what do I want? I want community. 
I want people to grieve with me. I want people to love me. I want people to minister the gospel to me. People need to encounter the church as a network of relationships rather than a meeting you, you attend or a place that you attend on Sunday morning. This is why we gather in small, localized missional communities. People need to have their first impact with the church in a missional community where people are living, they're sharing all things in common, they're living together on mission for the purpose of the gospel. The call to us as a church is to live as radically countercultural community, a community of authenticity, a community saturated by grace, who walk in humility and love people outside of our community. So I just want you to see this. First church, spirit of God, believing the gospel. What does God do? He gathers them together. He creates a community. What type of community? A close-knit community. A community where they're sharing all things together. Okay? Second point. Let's keep reading. And all who believed, verse 44, all who believed were, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and they were distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food, they ate together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the first thing I want you to see, they were radically involved in each other's life. That's what community looks like. Second one, they were radically open with each other. See, the gospel frees me to be brutally honest about my shortcomings because my identity and approval is not based upon my behavior, but Christ's behavior on my place. I can be free to say, I struggle to believe the gospel every day. I am a sinner. I am proud. I want to be justified by my accomplishments. I want people to look at me and say, he's a hard worker. He produces a lot. He's a good speaker or he's a good pastor or he's a good whatever. That's a great point. I want to rob God of his glory every day. That's reality. And the gospel frees me to be open about that. As I'm open, people can give me, an, give me the opportunity to believe the gospel. Justin, you know you're not accepted based on your works, right? You know that he loved you when you were a sinner. You know that Christ, God proved his love for you when he killed his son on the cross. See, this is incredibly attractive to us as human beings, but it's scary. It's scary, but attractive. When you walk into a community and people are open about their sin, that's why we do public repentance every week. Any unbeliever that walks in this room, anybody outside the Christian faith, I want you to know that every single Christian is just as bad of a sinner as you. The worst sinner in this room, to my knowledge, is me. I can see my pride, I can see my sin clearer than I can see anybody else's. I know the wickedness of my own heart. So we publicly repent every single week. Because it's kind of silently and secretly, especially with the invention of altar calls in the last hundred years, there's this subtle thing that's crept into the church that the people who need to repent are the pagan sinners. But the Christians go, 
When's there reservations? Oh, some more of them sinners walking down front. God did something today. Thank God he still saves sinners. Paul says, yes, he does save sinners, of which I am the worst. Paul says it. Paul. Our neighbors and friends should see us and say, wow, those people are alive. They're alive in a way that I don't really understand and I haven't ever experienced. That community is radically different than anything I've ever known in a good way. How can they be open about their shortcomings? How can they be verbal and vocal about their failures and faults and still walk around with a smile on their face and not walk around like, whoa, yeah, I'm just the worst I've ever been and woe is me. No, I am worse than I ever feared. My heart is that wicked, but I am more loved at the same time than I've ever hoped. It's beautiful. When I was at my worst, Christ is at his best, giving me his righteousness. So what kind of community? One that's radically open with each other. One that's radically involved in each other's life. They're meeting day by day, it says. Every day they're breaking bread together. So this is why we do missional communities throughout the week. This is why we meet through fight, in fight clubs throughout the week. This is why we, when we do, a lot of times when we do our trainings and our equippings, we do them in the, in the pub or in the coffee shop or, or throughout the city. We're wanting to be involved in each other's life more than just a gathering on Sunday. Why? Because Scripture gives us the prescription. Thirdly, they're radically generous. It said they shared all things in common. When somebody had need, they would meet the need. This is really hard in the modern-day church because um, you, if you only come on Sunday and the pastor only knows your face on Sunday, he doesn't really know you. He doesn't know what you're going through. No one knows when you hit a tough spot financially. Nobody knows when you have a miscarriage. Nobody knows when this pain is hitting your heart. Unless you pick up the phone and you call and you say, I'm hurting. And many pastors expect that. In my past, I've expected that. Well, I didn't know. How am I supposed to know they were hurting? And I just put my head down. I got a sermon to plan. I got stuff to build. But the New Testament church, the early church, they were broken up into these little small bodies, these little house churches. Every, nearly every letter is written to a specific house church or group of house churches so where they could know each other's pain, know their hurt, and know their needs. We had someone step into our missional community. Um, I don't know. It's been a while now. And she was a, 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 a churched woman. She'd been to church a long time, maybe almost her whole life. She thought she knew it. She was going to show up. And she was a little older and she was going to show this young whippersnapper a thing or two about the Bible and how things need to be done and all this stuff. And, and she came into our community and um, she did not understand the gospel. She did not understand grace. Uh, we've been having this gospel language and we all sort of heard it. And we all were trying to be patient. And we're trying to love her and we're trying to uh, minister to her. And yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. And we're all, everybody in the group smiling saying, you don't get it at all. You don't get it at all. We can tell you're earning your identity. We can tell you're trying to prove yourself and how good you are. You don't believe the gospel. Oh, and it's so good. We want you to. And she always came in looking really nice. And then one day in our missional community, she steps in. She's in her pajamas. <laughs> Hair's not done. Makeup's all not there, actually. Makeup's not there. And we're like, and this is just because it's a rhythm. We're in each other's life. We never would have known this. It wouldn't happen on a Sunday. What, what's going on? 
And her whole life was based on performance and how well she was being a Christian and how well she was doing. And in this moment of weakness, she was overwhelmed with her failure. She had forgot. So this were her words. I feel like a 17-year-old idiot. Why? I forgot to put oil in my car and I blew the engine up in our car. Oh man, that's really tough. Wow, that's difficult. Every issue is a gospel issue. So in a, in a gentle kind of way, we said, you know what? You are an idiot. That was really foolish not to put oil in your car. But you know what? The gospel says we're all that foolish every single day. And you know what? When we're that foolish, Christ died for us. That's grace. So could we pay for your new engine as your missional community? She, as an earner, right? As a performance, she's backing up. No, you can't. No, no, no way. No, she's fine. I'm like, why are you resisting grace? This is what the gospel does. This is an implication of the gospel. She was not living in line with the gospel. Her whole identity was as earner. I'm an earner. I prove myself. I'm valuable because I can produce. And her missional community got to say, in a moment of weakness, or guilt and shame because she'd failed her idol, was overwhelming. We get to say, this is where the gospel can speak. This is a moment the gospel to reach in. It's beautiful. That's why the church is meant to be set up as a group of smaller communities where people know each other. They know their uglies. Everybody has this universal fear. If you ever sit down for a meeting and your nose itches, you've got this universal fear, right? Like, or if you see something go like this, then you're like, oh crap, are they telling me something? I'm like, do I get something on my nose? Like everybody has this universal fear. Like you've got something hanging from your nose, right? You're in an important meeting. And you're like, oh, he's, oh. you're doing everything you can because you're thinking, is he giving me the sign? Is this the universal sign that you've got something on your nose, but I'm not going to tell you, right? You've all been there. Listen, every one of us walk around life. We think we're hiding it, but we've got something on our nose. Everybody that's close to you sees your sin. They see your failures. It's not like you're really hiding it. We think we are, but you're not. Living in an intimate community and the gospel frees you in such a way that a person can lovingly say, dude, you got something on your nose. And I'm the type of guy, I want to know that. Please, if I'm going to an important meeting and, I'm, and you're sitting there talking with me and I got something on my nose, and you just say, I'm not going to say it. might offend him. And I'm walking into a business meeting and I got something. Please tell me. Right? We all, this is what gospel community is. It's, it's painful sometimes in the moment. I feel shame a little bit in the moment. But then they can apply the gospel. To remember, Justin, your identity is not found on how well you're performing. And then lastly, the gospel doesn't just save us. The gospel doesn't just bring us into this 
body of Christ, this church, this radical community, the gospel also sends us out on mission. Gospel, community, mission. See, God makes us into missionaries. I hope you hear this. This this is the beauty of the gospel. He's not saying, now go do this. Okay, I've done this, now go do this. He's saying, I'm going to make you into a missionary. This is an identity I'm giving you. You're my loved and forgiven child. And because God himself, like we saw last week, is a missional God. God was the first missionary. God planned and sent Jesus Christ to come save us in space and time. He was the first missionary. As his children, when he adopts us, when he builds us into new creation and regenerates us, he makes us into missionaries and sends us out on mission. Mission is not just what we do. It's who we are. We are a community of missionaries to the Quad Cities. I believe the church today is smothering under small ambitions. That our hearts and minds were made for bigger things. That God does not bless Christians merely to fulfill their individual needs, but he sends them out on mission to display Jesus and to meet the needs of others. This individualistic, self-focused life is too small, it's too boring. I think we're smothering under small ambitions. The church is meant, it was created to depend on God's power. Ninety percent of what goes on in most churches today could go on without the presence of God, without the power of God. PowerPoint goes on, music goes on, preacher can go on, Greeters can go on. Books can go on. Sunday mornings can go on. Maybe not in as much power, but many of them do every single week. Maybe not, you know, converting and regenerating and seeing God move, but most of what happens in a church could function without the power and the spirit of God. That's why you're bored, young Christians, old Christians, middle-aged Christians. That's why you're bored. You were created for something greater. Living in community and on mission demands the power of God. We desire to see the salvation of people, but we also get to partner with God in his restoration of all things to its original good. So for us, every single, every single missional community throughout our city has a specific mission, a specific people in place. One is on mission to the campus of Annie Whitmire here. They serve, uh, uh, the, I can't even remember, the resource center, uh, family resource center here. They bring clothes. They serve. They do all, all kinds of stuff. Another one, we've been on mission down at CrossFit. Another one's on mission towards, man, I'm forgetting everything, uh, the Lydia House in downtown Davenport. Um, each missional community is wrapped around a mission. We say, that's who we're going to focus on. That's who we're going to serve. We're going to live like missionaries in this context today. And we're going to beg God to save souls. We're going to beg God to, part, to let us partner with him in the renewal of all creation. Mission is the focus. But you can't accomplish the mission of God on our own. We can't usher in the kingdom of God. We can't accomplish the mission of God without the power of God. This, this is how we say this around here. You, you, you probably will hear this a lot. 
The gospel not only calls us into community and sends us out on mission. The gospel, hear this, the gospel is the only thing that will keep you in community and keep you on mission. The gospel not only calls us into community, sends us out on mission, but the gospel is the only thing that will keep us in community and keep us on mission. This is why God built it this way. You're in community and that person gets on your nerves. It's a gospel issue. He's working your pride. He's working your patience. How do you think the fruit of the Spirit are produced? Patience? Peace? How do you think those are? Peace is developed in wartime. Patience is developed when you're stressed out. He puts us into these little communities, kind of like little sandpaper communities, to rub off our edges. The gospel pushes us into community, pushes us out on mission, but the gospel is the only thing that will keep us in community and keep us on mission. So when I'm tempted to say, I'm not coming to missional community because I'm tired of that person, the gospel says, are you better than that person? Seems to be you're putting your righteousness in your behavior and you're looking down on that person for their bad behavior. Are you forgetting that you're worse than you ever thought possible? but at the same time, you're more loved than you ever hoped. See, when I experience that with the Father, that I'm worse than I ever thought possible, but I'm more loved than I ever hoped, I'm free, I can freely offer grace and patience to, less, to, to immature people, to hurtful people, to people who don't know Jesus Christ. Being in community and on mission also reveals our continual need for grace, and that's only found in the gospel. Our culture does not get grace. They don't get grace. They think you either are radically judgmental or you just, anything goes. Don't ever confront anybody's sin. Just put your head down and let them do whatever they want to do. Or you got to have pickets. You got to have signs. You got to be, you know, saying what God hates. Our culture has two sides and these two sides are growing in strength every day. Every day, these, these sides are being polarized. And the gospel is completely a different way. It is not liberalism. It is not conservatism. It's, if that's a word, it's gospel. It's different. Radically accepting, but you still have radical truth. Culture doesn't get it. Grace and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. Because of what the Bible says, we do not define ourselves as a building. The church is God's people. It's who we are. Saved by God's power. It's what he's done and is doing for God's purposes. The good works he created us in Jesus Christ to do, Ephesians tells us. I'm going to ask you today. What are you building your life upon? What's the fountain of your security? What's the foundation for your meaning? What are you looking to for your personal value and worth? What tells you, like Madonna, you're somebody special? Is it your accomplishments? Is it your education? Is it your work ethic? 
Is it your beauty? Is it your sexuality? Is it your individualism? All of those things will fail you. People will fail you. The only one who will never leave you or fail you is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who laid down everything for you. When he should have left you, he stayed. On the cross, when he felt the weight of sin, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Didn't feel like God was his Abba anymore. Didn't feel like God was his father. He was feeling the wrath of God upon him. When he should have left in that moment, and he wanted to, in the garden, he said, if this is possible, take this cup from me. God said, no, it's not possible. This must happen. When he should have left, he stayed. He purchased our adoption into this community with his precious blood. His perfect obedience, his selfless sacrifice is where we find our meaning. He didn't die for us because we are worth anything. He died for us to make us worth something. A person who can rightly understand the gospel and what Christ has done, they really can never say, does God love me? I don't look at my circumstances. I don't look at my situation in life. I don't look at my emotional situation and ask, does God love me? Because look at what I'm going through. A Christian, someone who believes the gospel, looks one place for that answer. They look to the gospel. They look to the Christ, to the cross of Christ. They say, how could he not love me? Look what he paid for me. Look what he did for me when I was at my worst He was at his best. If you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a gift by faith. And if you can see the beauty of Christ, if you can see the beauty of the gospel, that means the Spirit's at work in your heart right now. And I ask you to place your faith in Christ and turn from your old ways. Turn from your life. Say, I won't look for other things for meaning, I will build my life on Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian in this room and you've been on the treadmill of earning God's approval, maybe you go back and forth, you try to earn his approval, then you realize you can't do it, so then you give up and walk away and say, well, I guess it's just all about grace, and you just do whatever you want to do. If you're that person this morning, I'm calling you deeper into the gospel. Let it press you into community. Let it press you into the Father. Let him work these idols and this sin. Let him work it out in your heart. And if you are a believer in Christ and you are in community and you're living faithfully in community, then I'm going to ask you the third thing. I'm going to say, are you on mission? Are you thinking of yourself as a missionary? Have you shared this good news with the person next to you at work, the person you're working out with every single day, your best friend, your... I heard a statistic today that, or yesterday that scared me. It said 98% of people that go to church never invite someone else to church. Never share their faith. 98%. And 82% of unbelievers or people that don't go to church say they would respond positively, positively if they were asked. Gospel 
who God is, what he's done, community, who we are, how do we live, mission, taking this message of Jesus Christ to the world for his glory and our joy. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it never returns void. Thank you for your spirit at work here. I thank you for the gospel that we are accepted in Christ. You have given us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That when you look at us, you see his perfect record. Not because of our inherent goodness, but because of your goodness, your graciousness. And I pray as believers come to the table this morning and they take the body that was broken for them on the cross and they take the blood that was shed for them on the cross, they would be reminded of your sacrifice. They would be reminded of your love. This is a love meal. The believers in Acts sat down together. They broke bread. They drank together. And it was a meal of the new covenant. That this is a new covenant shed in, in, the, in the blood of Christ, declared by the blood of Christ, we are not judged based on our works anymore. We are judged by faith in Christ alone. Thank you, Christ, for your work for us. I pray that you would encourage us, you would press us deeper into community, you would press us deeper into the gospel, and you would send us out on mission. I pray that you would do these things, not for our glory, but for yours and for our joy. Nothing gives my heart more gladness than to see you save sinners, to see you take religious people and press them into the gospel, to see the gospel sink in their heart, to see people come alive and and stop earning and stop trusting in vain idols. It is a joy to serve you, God. Father, in my heart, I turn from my sin, turn from my false identities of, the achiever, the worker, and the producer. My righteousness is filthy rags, you say in Isaiah. We stand in this alone. The blood of Christ cleanses us. Thank you for my brothers and sisters as they come this morning. Thank you for surrounding me with these men and women who share a desire to see the gospel move forward, who don't want to sit on the sidelines and watch your mission move forward. We want to be involved. We want to be brought into the game. Father, we don't want to have a piece of you. We want all of you. We don't want to know about you. We want to know you intimately. We want to feel your pleasure. We want to hear your voice. We want to know you in a greater way. So I ask that you would do that in this church in my brothers and sisters, in my own heart. In Jesus' name, amen.